Welcome to iCommunicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Good afternoon. Welcome to iCommunicate. Glad to be back with you all today. My name is Mark Altman. I am the founder, CEO, and lead trainer at Mindset Go, where we help people become more confident and effective communicators. So, you know, as always, I'm always thinking about a different way and a a unique angle to talk about communication. And last week we talked about finding your passion. That was the topic. And today I promised we'd continue to do more work around passion. And so we're going to start out today with a very unique expression Uh, Actually, the expression, I shouldn't say it's unique. It's not unique at all. It's more of an overused, lazy expression. And the expression is, how you doing? Everybody remember Joey Tribbiani from Friends with his famous, how you doing? Jake, you remember that? Of course, who can't? Right? So I've been thinking a lot about the expression, how you doing? How are you doing? And how we use that. And what really got me thinking about it is... We're lazy about it. You know, when we greet people and when we talk to people, we say it because we're societally supposed to say, how are you doing? If you go to the checkout line of a supermarket, if you go to a restaurant, if you're passing by someone in the street, street, you might say to someone, how are you doing? And the thing about this that's kind of interesting is, how the hell do you answer that? Right? Because the first thing is, if you asked me, if Jake says, how are you doing? The first thing I'm going to say to myself is, does Jake actually care how I'm doing? Because if I don't think Jake cares, I'm going to give him a very generic answer. I'm like, oh, Jake, things are going great. So the first hurdle with how are you doing is, does the person who's answering the question think you actually care? The second hurdle with how are you doing is, what do you mean how am I doing? I could answer that question a hundred different ways. Do you mean with my work, my family, my friends, my relationships? The list goes on and on. My hobbies, my entrepreneurship. I mean, there's so many different ways to answer that question. And what got me thinking about this topic is, as many of our listeners know, I do a lot of work around parenting workshops and around wellness and helping parents communicate more effectively with their kids. And as I've mentioned on this show many times, There's so much symmetry with leadership and parenting, which is one of the reasons I like to talk about parenting on this show. And you will be able to relate the last question most kids want to answer at the end of a school day. They've been dealing with adults all day. They've allegedly been paying close attention and focused a lot of energy on listening and taking notes and uh, reading and processing information So when you get done that five or six hours of school, the last thing you want to do probably as a kid is address, how was your day? So what typically happens, right, is if a parent is picking their child up from an activity from school, the parent may be, the child may be sitting in the back seat, may be sitting in the front seat, but most likely when you ask the child how they're doing, you're not even making eye contact with them, which is a problem right out of the gate, okay? So... You ask the child how you're doing, and how many people out there can relate to when you ask a child how their day was, they say, good, 
And that's the end of the conversation. Good. So then the parent gets frustrated or slightly frustrated and says, well, what do you mean good? What happened in school today? Well, how does a child answer what happened in school today? It's a very difficult question to answer. Nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. Because what would be worthy of talking about in a child's mind? It's not going to be what they learned in most cases. It's not going to be tests and quizzes they took in most cases. So what does, how does a child even frame an answer to what did you do in school today? So Jake and Jasmine, you'll be happy to know that I came up with a post-school conversation template that I use with my son. And I've started this template now. I mentioned this, I think, briefly on the show last week. I've started this template now about two weeks ago. And it, now, now nothing works for everybody, but this particular template has really opened up conversation with my son about school. So I ask him about eight or nine questions. And a lot of parents out there might be rolling their eyes going, eight or nine questions. I'm happy if my kid will answer one or two questions. Yeah, I was going to say this is interesting because I never made this easy for my parents. Right? And Jake, most kids don't. No, not at all. Right. So it's, a, it's, it's understandable, but it's also understandable why parents try to pry it out of you because you want to know what your kids are doing in school. Well, the thing is, Jake, too, the, the, the missing piece in this, before I get to the conversation template, is, is whenever I talk about creating an environment for open, honest communication, when do you ask the questions? Where do you ask the questions? Right? So, for instance, like I said, I don't want to answer these questions right, out of, right after school, so give your kids time to decompress. Um, do you want to do it over dinner? Do you want to do it after dinner? Do you want to do it in their room? Do you want to do it in the living room? I mean, those all are factors that contribute to safety, psychological safety around these questions. So when, where, how do you approach it? So as Jake said, most kids aren't going to be cooperative. So my first question I often ask my son is, any funny things happen in school today with kids or teachers? Funny happy. So now you're sitting back and your son or daughter is going to reflect on something that may have happened with one of their friends, with a peer in the classroom, something silly or funny a teacher did. So it starts off in kind of a fun, positive way. And that's not what kids are expecting, right? So anything funny happened in school today, right? I always remember to tell my parents about when there was a fight in the lunchroom or something like that. (laughs) But Jake, see, see, that's perfect because if you start out, if you're a child and you get to start out the answer to the how was your day question with something that was interesting to you on your terms, it's going to create more conversation. So I love that. So then after we talk about any funny stories, right, then I ask if, if Cole has had any challenges with any teachers and fr- or friends or peers, That's a really odd question to ask a child. Have you had any challenges? Now, when I first did this, he asked me, well, what do you mean by challenges? I mean, did you have any conflicts with anybody? Did you not get along with anybody? Did you have any situations where you were doing like a class project or something with a child and it didn't go well? Did any teachers get frustrated with you? Did you get frustrated with any teachers? Now, keep in mind We're getting to a piece of this conversation which requires kids to trust parents because if you're going to share, and I've got cold to a point now 
where he knows he can share if a teacher got frustrated with him without him worrying about getting in trouble. So if a teacher says, so, of course, the way he does it, which is the way most kids probably frame this is, um, he'll say, well, so-and-so teacher got mad at me today, but it wasn't my fault, and I really didn't do anything. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. Well, what happened? So, it, you know, the conversation template is one thing, but creating an authentic interaction where your child doesn't feel like if they share certain information, it'll be confidential, perhaps between you and the parents. It will be not, there'll be no judgment or criticism or punishment or consequences. So these are all critical aspects of the conversation. If, if my son doesn't do something that I want him to do, then it gives us an opportunity to talk about a different way to do it as opposed to being punitive and punishing him for it. And I'm not trying to present to our listeners out there that everything works 100% effectively. There's always situational awareness. There's always things where they don't work. But these are things, again, to open up the flow of conversation and to take a a very open-ended, difficult question like, how was your day, and make it easier to digest for the recipient, in this case, your son or daughter. I think it's so important, not to interrupt, but I I think it's so important, too, when you're talking about kids to teach them that, like, like it's okay to to maybe butt heads with someone like you're gonna that's gonna happen there's eight billion of us here so it's like we're not all gonna get along all the time and i think that when they're comfortable with knowing that it really helps them you know reflect on it more well jake that's a great point and for two reasons one i completely agree with what you said and there's another reason and that is because i've always found that When you ask someone about their day, it's very often a one-sided conversation with a parent and a child. So to your point, Jake, when I talk to Cole, I will share things that happen in my day. So if I had a negative interaction with someone and I share that I had that interaction and how it made me feel, then Cole's takeaway from that interaction is, Okay, so if I have a negative interaction with someone at school, it doesn't make me bad or wrong. It's something that Cole can relate to because I was vulnerable as a parent and shared my interaction. Yeah, and so on that note, we come back from our first segment. I'm going to talk about um, whose responsibility is to teach kids empathy related to sharing about conflict Uh, in life and in the classroom. So for Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be right back. continues on full service radio 830 wcrn once again here's your host mark altman okay welcome back to i communicate we're talking about the question how are you doing or how was your day and how it can be such a challenging question and we're framing it in the beginning of the show today about that after school conversation with kids uh, about how was your day And right before the break, we were talking about um, if kids have conflict or difficulty during the day, it's an opportunity for them to share, an opportunity for you to listen, certainly listen and teach. But one of the points I always come back to about parents and children is the word empathy. And what I mean by that is 
how are kids going to learn empathy? You know, they go to school every day. It's not a teacher's job to teach empathy. And so if there are challenges with teachers or students or things going on in, this, in school, kids don't know how to be empathetic. And that can very much be affected, obviously, by their culture and upbringing. But my point is, parents have an opportunity to model empathy. So parents typically carry around so much guilt. And here's an example. If you are, if you had a bad day at work and you had a disagreement with a coworker or a subordinate and you come home and you share that experience with your child, your child may process that and then feel empathetic to you, sympathetic or empathetic to you, because that now they know what you're going through. They know what they're going through in their life, but they don't know what parents are going through. Often parents mistake sharing about their lives. They don't want to burden their kids. They don't want to add extra stress to their kids. I'm not suggesting you make your child a codependent. I'm suggesting that you give your kids some insight, be vulnerable, share some experiences you having to normalize it. Right, So then when they're in school and they have a negative experience with a peer and they're sitting there thinking less of themselves and it's affecting their confidence and self-esteem, can you imagine the difference if they can say, well, yeah, I remember mom telling me she had a similar situation with that or dad telling me he had a similar situation like that. That goes a long way. I was going to say, like, if you get yelled at at work, like, tell your seven or eight or your eight-year-old about it and then maybe they'll be like, yeah, someone yelled at me today too, actually. Well, It'll it, make them more comfortable to talk about it. Jake, and in, in, in addition, not just tell them, tell them how you dealt with it. Tell them how you coped with it when you were angry when someone yelled at you. Yeah, because then they can learn. They can learn. So by sharing your own experience, what the experience is, how you dealt with it, how you coped with it, how you didn't let it affect your confidence, assuming it didn't, this is where kids can learn empathy and learn what, how behavior can be normalized. And you're also creating a funnel for them to share this information when it comes up moving forward because you've made it okay to talk about. Look, one of the things we have to do as people is we have to start setting expectations for conversations. I talk about this in leadership all the time. Okay. When you have a performance improvement conversation with someone, is your expectation that you're going to solve that problem and the habit and behavior is going to fix on a dime after one conversation? It may, of course, depending on what the challenge is. But I think we get disappointed with people very easily. And we're not necessarily reflecting on why the conversation didn't succeed. Is it on you, the parent, or the leader? Is it on the other person? We can only control our thoughts and actions. But I feel like we have to set expectations for a conversation. And a perfect example I can give is if you start this conversation template that I'm proposing with your children, and the first one or two times you try this conversation, it doesn't really work or seem like it's going to generate any results and you quit, well, then your kids won and you lost. And I'm intentionally choosing those words. When you start this conversation with your kids, this is hitting them out of left field. 
They're not used to having this kind of conversation. So what do you expect? The first few times you have this conversation, they're just going to cooperate and all of a sudden be willing to open up when they've never been willing to open up and go, oh, sure, you want to talk about how my tests and quizzes are today? I'd be thrilled to tell you about it, especially the bad ones. Let me tell you the ones I didn't do well on so you can judge me and give me grief about it. It doesn't work that way. You have to be patient. So your expectations in having the how was your day, it has to do with when you do it, how you do it, where you do it. It has to do with timing. Okay? Let's talk about reading between the lines. Jake said in the break, he said, my mother could always read. When I came home from school, she looked at my body language and can read it. Are you reading it as a parent? Are you adjusting your how was your day question based on the body language you see in your child? Do they look exhausted? Do they look sad? Do they look overwhelmed? Are you reading it in their body language? Are you hearing it in their frustrated tone when you say how was your day and they're like, good? Are you picking up the frustration in their tone? They're not mad. Could they be mad at you? They haven't seen you all day. But they have a frustrated tone. Maybe it means they don't want to talk about it in that moment. But we're not reading between the lines. I did several radio shows last month on reading between the lines. Is their tone frustrated? Is their body language indicate they're not ready or not willing to talk? And are we paying attention? Or parents, is it all about you? Is it your agenda? You want to know how their day was. You have an expectation that they should talk to you. And when they don't talk to you about it, it's frustrating and annoying. And in some cases, borderline disrespectful. Right? But whose agenda are we talking here? Is it about your agenda or is it about the kid's agenda? Or should, be a, should it be a mutual agenda, really? I mean, that's really the answer. But I go back, just to finish this thought, I go back to expectations. When you are trying a new communication technique or a conversation technique with someone for the first time, it may take several times, incremental progress, to see any kind of noticeable difference in the communication. So I ask you, parents, if I could guarantee you that right now you have one, you have a conversation for months and months and months. How was your day? And every answer is good. And what did you do in school today? And they say nothing. If that's generally the template you've been dealing with for months and years on end, would you be willing to have five more conversations where you still get nothing good? But then on the sixth conversation, they say, Actually, something funny did happen in school today. Or I did have an argument with my friend today. If you had to do five more, but on the sixth you saw something different, would that be good enough for you? I think the answer is yes. But not only do we have unreal, unreasonable expectations and unrealistic expectations when we're communicating and conversing with people differently, we need instant gratification. Because if we're going to try something new and we're going to try something different, and we don't see the results right away, there's this, there's this mindset of, so see, it doesn't matter. Why bother? My kid's not going to want to talk about their day or school no matter what, so why did I bother doing anything different? Well, what, you know what that tells me when someone says, why bother, and they quit very early into a new habit? Is that the rejection of not seeing improvement and the lack of results is too hurtful and painful to continue making yourself vulnerable and trying something different. Yet, 
What we're not doing in those situations is when we try something and it doesn't work for the third, fourth, or fifth time, we're not sitting there saying, well, the old way never yielded any results, and I did that for years. So why do I only try something for five times or three times before I quit on it and just assume it's not going to work? And it's no different for leaders. When you have that performance conversation, when someone's coming in late to work, and you've had the conversation, you've been empathetic, you've been open-minded, you've offered your help, like so many leaders do in that first conversation, what can I do to help you? You know what? They don't know in most cases. They're not expecting you to say, what can I do to help you? And if they knew, maybe they would have fixed the problem and it wouldn't have lasted this long in the first place or wouldn't have even happened in the first place. It's not a question people are ready for. When you say, what can I do to help? They don't necessarily know. So most performance improvement conversations, in my experience, are two or three-part conversations. People aren't prepared to answer questions, in many cases, the way you want them to answer. They haven't rehearsed. They don't know what you're going to ask. They don't know. So when we come back, we're going to finish the conversation template with kids. And we're going to go to some, the difference between open-ended and closed-ended when getting information. And I have a unique angle around this. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. continues on full service radio 830 wcrn once again here's your host mark altman okay this is mark altman back with i communicate and uh, we're talking about the questions how are you doing and how was your day and how to really reshape conversations with people setting expectations getting people to model behaviors creating psychological safety for children and adults to open up so I just want to briefly finish with this conversation template with, with a child. So I talked about challenges with teachers and friends, funny stories. And then you could talk about how they participated in class today. So if you say, hey, did you participate in class today? If they say no, well, that may be a red flag, especially if it's a consistent answer. And if they say yes, you can ask them how or what they participated on Because what you may find out is whatever they participated on will in turn open up a conversation because the likelihood that whatever they participated on is something that interested them is probably a good connection. So that's another way to get kids open up about maybe something they enjoyed in school today. I also think that there's going to be things where it's like, I'm going to be very interested to know what they're teaching my kid in history class, you know? Like, there's certain things as a parent I think that you're invested in. Like, you want to know what they're learning. Like, you want to know what your kids are being, you know, fed, so to speak. 
for sure. And like I know, um, I know there's a lot of topics for me. Like my kids could come home and talk about some of the things they learned. Um, like a perfect example, Cole's learning about poetry right now. And, you know, he actually, he actually asked me who my favorite poet was when I was growing up. Now, just a little full disclosure here. I would rather have a needle stuck in my eye than listen to poetry. So I'm, you know, that was always my least favorite. Right, like I, part I can't. School, yeah. So I, I literally looked at him when he said, "You know, who is your favorite poet?" I said, "I think you'd be better off asking your mother on that one." But, but like, here's the thing: you can be real. The reason why I bring up this poetry example, this is another example of empathy, right? Two of my least favorite subjects in school were poetry and art. Okay, because I'm a crappy artist. So with poetry, I'm not going to pretend I liked it to convince them it's important to learn. Kids see through that stuff. I can tell him when I had topics like poetry, how I found a way to get by, how I found a way to make the topic interesting. I can share that. And with art, he emailed me from school yesterday, and he or not yesterday, last week. He emailed me from school, and he said the most – he goes – this may be one of the most painful things I've ever done in school, LOL, about art. So I wrote him back, and I wrote, I totally get it. I couldn't stand art either. How old is he, and he was emailing you from school? Yeah. Mm. How old is he? 14. Oh, okay. He's four. Okay, I thought he was younger than Which, that. by the way, Jake, talk about a parenting method that I wish I could take more credit for. The kid's for. better than me about checking his email. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> so when he wasn't performing up to the level in school, I took his phone away about four months ago. My mom always changes the uh, Netflix and Wi-Fi passwords. Well, but here's the thing. Because he doesn't have his phone, he has to email. And now, unlike most kids his age, is checking his email every day. Like, how cool is that? That's awesome. Right? So, but the point is, you know, being real, poetry, art, whatever it is, empathy. So when you say to the child... Hey, I, I know what that, that's like. I couldn't stand art either. I'm not giving him a pass to, to not try at it or quit at it or get bad grades at it. I'm just empathizing with, these, what I'm going to, with what he's going through. And now he sees me in some ways as a peer, right, as a, instead of an authority figure. As a resource. As a resource. And I think that's powerful for parents. So I think the participation's big. You know, when you talk about homework, think about this. Think about how many parents ask their kids every night, is all your homework done? What are they going to say, no? <laughs> I always said yes, even yeah, though Yeah, what the are they going to say, no? Not, yes. Most kids are going to say yes, so the parents will get off their back. Yeah, especially in my house. <laughs> so, so you have choices, right? As an authority figure, your choice is you can keep asking, is your homework done? When they're going to probably tell you what you want to hear. You can ask them, you can do random checks of their homework, and you can ask them what they had for homework, and then actually randomly check different pieces of their homework, okay? Or you can do something that's maybe meaningful to them, and you could say, what was the hardest part of your homework today? I think a, another important thing, too, is that my parents used to tell me sometimes, they're like, listen... In a couple of more grades, we're not going to be able to help you with this. With the math homework and stuff, they'd be like, we're not going to be able to help you with this in a few years, so you better learn it while you can. <laughs> yeah, but I think ultimately what I'm trying to say is when you take things like tests, quizzes, and homework, 
What you've got to understand is you've got to figure out different ways to talk about these things so kids may be more likely and interested to talk about them. And as I talk about in leadership all the time, you can make your kids talk about it. I mean, that's if you really want to know what works, you can make them do it. And guess what? When you make them do it, and then when you wonder why they don't want to talk to you when they get into high school because they become resentful and you force them to do everything, you can point to that, that you're making them talk. There's nothing worse you can do with people than making people talk that don't want to talk. Has that ever worked out well for anybody when you make them talk? So tests and quizzes are interesting. I've said this on the show before, and I read an article about it this morning. What does success look like? You want to teach your kids success looks like 90s and 100s on tests? That's incomplete. Success looks like habits that get you to the point where you can consistently do well. And so when you talk about tests and quizzes, you can ask your kids what they got on the test and quiz. But I have my son trained in a way now where whether he gets a 90 or whether he gets a 70, I ask them the same question. So if he gets a 90, I ask him, how were you able to achieve it and what habits do you use? And if he gets a 70, I'll say, what went wrong? What do we need to learn? What do we need to do different? What do we need to get extra help? I don't spend time giving him grief for getting a 70 because those are outcomes. Outcomes, they're not consistent. Most kids in school aren't able to consistently generate positive outcomes. And then you know what we do, the kids who aren't able to consistently generate positive outcomes, you know what we say about those kids? The kids who aren't able to do it will say, oh, those kids are just so naturally smart. We don't even give the kids credit in many cases who do get all the good grades. We just assume they're naturally smart. You know, instead of giving them credit for the habits or whatever things they're able to do. So when it comes to tests and quizzes, when it comes to homework, When it comes to work you did in class, ask them what they learned. Ask them one takeaway. I am not proposing you go through every class. It's too much. And I think what it's all about is opening up lines of dialogue and conversation by asking open-ended questions that create a path for kids to talk about something that interests them that they feel safe discussing, and they feel like they will not be judged for. That's what we're ultimately trying to do. Now, I will end this topic before we transition on communication. I will end with one of my favorite things I asked Cole, and that is, did you study? Okay, so just like we just spoke about, did you do your homework? The reflex response is Yes. Got all your homework done, yes. Did you study? Well, parents, I hope you have a huge takeaway from what I'm about to tell you because that is absolutely the wrong question to ask. The question is not, did you study? The question is, and it's a two-part dialogue, did you study enough? Now, we know what a kid's going to say to that. Did you? Yep, yes, I did. I studied enough. So the real question is, what makes you say that? How do you know that you're prepared? So you can ask a closed-ended question like, did you study? But you first need to ask them, did you study enough? And even though that's a closed-ended question, it paves the way for part two, which is, how do you know? 
How do you determine what enough is? What are your rules for preparation? Because I want to tell you something. When my son says he studied enough, my response is, oh, so I'm assuming you're expecting to get an A on the test or quiz. And he'll smile and I'll say, do you think you need to maybe study a little bit more? And he'll say, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But I will say this. And I know we have a caller. Jake, how much time do we have left in this segment? Uh, just like two minutes. Okay, so, so I'm going to finish this, to... Matt. We'll take you to begin the next segment. But just to finish this point, you know, when you talk about having this conversation template after school, it's time parents take responsibility for their role in education. You know what? I'm not happy with every teacher out there. As a matter of fact, I have huge problems and complaints with education. And I think the quality of teaching has gone down. But that's not my point right now. My point is, you can check your kids' work. You can have conversations with them to gauge where they're at. You can't put it all on the teachers. So the bottom line is, did you study enough? What makes you say that? And then your third thing is, as they explain their criteria for determining the study enough, let me spend five or ten minutes and test you on a few things. Let me quiz you on a few things. I guarantee you that if you communicate that way with your child, they'll think twice before they answer, did you study enough, and what their criteria is. So, with that said, when we come back from a break, we will take the caller. My name is Mark Altman. This is I Communicate. continues on full service radio 830 wcrn once again here's your host mark altman okay welcome back to i communicate i'm mark altman here for our final segment we're talking about opening up lines of dialogue between parents and kids and that famous question how are you doing or how was your day so uh we have a caller uh caller welcome to the show Mark, thanks for taking my call. Is this Matt from the beautiful new state of Missouri? Yes, it is. It's the Show Me State, sir. I followed you all the way across the country. You're worth it. Matt, Matt, are you listening to us on the, on a radio? Correct. No, I'm listening to you on a on, a, on an app. Okay, because some people do yeah. come from like super far away, and they're like, "We get you yeah. on the radio," and I'm like, "How do we get yeah, that so, far?" <laughs> <laughs> I was so I was in East, in Western Mass for, until about three weeks ago. And then when I moved, and I listened on the app there to just for connectivity issues. Right. Um, but yeah, I just kept it on the app, and that way I can listen to you now. Awesome. Far, far away. Um, so okay, a couple couple thoughts real quick. Um, I'm not sure. I can't take credit for this, but one way I thought what I heard somebody tell me about a way to engage kids. And full disclosure, Mark, you know this. I don't have kids, so I don't really have the experience in this. Um, but one one I heard one person tell me once is is they would ask their child, you know, essentially when they'd get in the car, you know, instead of saying, how was your day or how was class, et cetera, teach me something. Tell me something you enjoyed that you learned today or something that you 
that you learned, and even if you didn't like it, just ask for something specific. Um, as like you said, instead of the generic, you know, how was your day? And you know, of course, that's what you get is is good. Um, and I had one example growing up that that I thought helped me. It gave, gave me a little bit of bond sort of thing with my parents. Um, I'm going to date myself a little bit. Mark, you can appreciate this. Hmm. Back in the day when, uh, you know, people used to get newspaper subscriptions delivered to their door, um, we used to get the Boston Globe every day. And being a kid, you know, I immediately wanted to go to the sports section, and that's all I cared about. Uh, after a while, my parents uh, just said, listen, you know, before you get to the sports section, you're going to read the rest of the paper. Um, or at least most of it. And when my parents would come home or over dinner, I would have to tell them something that happened in the world uh, that was in the paper. It could be anything. It could be in the art section. It could be in the you know news. It could be international affairs. It could be business or something. It just had to be something specific that I could you know tell them about, and that started up a conversation. Well, Matt, I, I have a couple of thoughts. First of all, I'm assuming you're alluding to uh, uh, reading the newspaper because you know I was one of the top carriers of the Lawrence Eagle Tribune. Is that? I, I, I just yeah, exactly. I just wanted to exactly. we used to we used to wait by the house every day for you to come. Right, right. Which is which is which is why you were disappointed because I probably didn't yes. get there. Hey, man, we still get the newspaper in the physical form at my house every morning it. in the driveway. I, I love it. Well, Matt, one of the reasons I really like what you're sharing is because I feel like your 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 parents made it such. Uh, I, I alluded earlier in the show about doing something on your terms. So by being able to make it something broad that you've learned um, and less rigid, I, I would. I mean, did you feel? And I mean, maybe it's hard to reflect back and know exactly how you were feeling at the time. But do you think you felt more motivated to do it because they made it less rigid? Well. You know, I, I, you know. Of course, the, the first time I heard it, it was like, "Oh, come on, Dad!" You know that day. You know, because at that age, all I cared about was, you know, was sports and how the Red Sox do it, right. or you know, the Patriots or whatever. Relatable. However, once once I did it a day or two, it actually was pretty cool because you know, at some point, I at some point, I actually you know came to the conclusion that learning stuff was actually kind of okay and kind of cool and. The, uh, the part of it, too, was that, like, I got you know, my parents came home and I would tell them something. You know, hey, you know, this happened, you know, uh, you know, in France, you know, something was unveiled. I taught them something. and It was kind of cool to me. It was, you know, I not that I was on their level, but it was like, OK, I'm bringing something intellectually to the table. And it became it was it, I I enjoyed it. I for, for me personally. And it's not for everybody. Um, but for me, it was kind of a cool thing, and it was it was great to expand my horizons mentally. Yeah, Matt, you know, as you say that, I'm thinking of one thing that's really challenging for a lot of kids is to capture the attention of their parents, right? Parents are, in many cases, too, too, and Matt, I know you can relate to that, I can relate to that. And so when, when you've said it felt great teaching them something, I think there's a lot of adults out there that can relate to what you just said because it's kind of cool. Even if, even if, you know, if, if think about it right now, how difficult it would be when there's news that breaks. If I was to text you, Matt, about news that broke, the likelihood you haven't already heard about it because yep. of how news travels so quickly now is slim. So... I think that is very uplifting for a child that knows you're trying to capture the attention of your parents. You're trying to get the approval of your parents. 
So when you shared something going on in the world and they didn't know that or you educated them on something different, not only is that empowering to you to feel good about the actual activity you're doing, but it motivates you to want to do it more, right? Agree 110%. So I think think what's so tricky is that I think your example is so important, Matt, because part of leadership that I see, Matt, and, and I see a lot of leaders struggle, is you really have to frequently adapt your approach, whether it's communication or leadership style, not just because the people you're dealing with have different personalities. They may be motivated differently. But but like we see in sports, Matt, and I know you can relate to this, sometimes after a while, no matter how effective a leader is, it starts to fall on deaf ears. And Absolutely. So, and so much of what I see in parenting is you need to stay ahead of your kids. You need to adapt your style. You need to adapt your approach. You can't just do the same thing. Kids get older. They learn your tricks. They learn the ways you approach communication and responsibility and motivation. So you have to adapt. They're older. You have to try different techniques. And I just think, Matt, sometimes parents get stuck in their ways and are unable. I mean, I'm working with an organization right now, Matt, where the the owners, the three owners of this company um, are in their mid-50s and they are old school. They are of the mindset that if you're in sales, you know, there's only one way to do this. You should be hungry. You should get up every day, be excited to make money, want to make money, and that's what should motivate you. Period. End of discussion. And let's face it, Matt, in our day, that is how we looked at it. Yep. However, the group of people that are working for them are mostly in their mid to late 20s. And that's not getting it done. That's not enough. They are hungry. They do want to make money. But they also want mentorship. They also want guidance. They also want to know if they have an opportunity for future buying of the company. They want more. These two groups of people are unable to connect because of generational differences. I, I think what they need to understand, too, is you can be right for the wrong reason. Uh, you might, hey, maybe you are 110% right. That's the way to do it. Doesn't mean that message is going to get through. Now, you know, or, you know there's got to be a different way to approach it, you, you know, hey, maybe that is the right way to do it, but you've got to figure out so just telling somebody, hey, that's how it is, isn't going to get the job done. Yeah. And Matt, you know, I know you have a ton of experience in the restaurant industry. And so I, I ask you real quick, uh, if, if you have a server that you're managing who isn't giving the level of service that you or your or your restaurant demands, you know, you can tell them they need to give better service. But like you just said, if the message isn't getting through, you have to figure out another way to reach them. Absolutely. Right? And you can't. Yeah, because it's, you can't. You can't just always, you know, some, yeah, everybody knows, of course, you need to do a, do a better job. But if you just tell them that and don't give them the tools to do a better job, whose fault is that? that that's right. That's your job as a leader. That's right. So, well, Matt, thanks for the call as always. And, uh, Appreciate you following us on the show. And look, we only have a minute to go, and I just want to wrap up by just summarizing what we talked about in the beginning. Look, at the end of the day, what you have to remember, and I I am intentionally saying have to, if you want to create dialogue with other human beings, adults, kids, peers, bosses, CEOs, you name it, you have to create the optimal situation to generate open, honest communication, and to create that dialogue. And yes, it involves things, as I mentioned earlier in the show, like when, how, you know, 
what's the best approach to generating this dialogue. But when people hear creating an environment for psychological safety, they might be turned off because they hear the word psychological and they're like, what does that mean? I don't know. That sounds kind of, you know. But, but what it means is you're creating an environment where people feel safe to communicate what you want them to communicate, their truths, what's really on their mind, what are their obstacles, what are their fears, what's keeping them up at night. You want people to share those things to get through performance improvement and behavior and habit improvement, that's what you need to do. So with that said, thank you for joining us. If you would like the conversation template from today's show, you can call 978-793-1159 or email at info at mindsetgo. I'm Mark Altman. Jake, Jasmine, thank you as always. And we'll see you next time on iCommunicate. Mark, we'll see you. listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.